Hi, this is Ryan Bonfilio, the Pilgrimage Formation Consultant with the Ministry Collaborative. At the Ministry Collaborative, we promote deep and searching conversations about God's activity in the world and our place in it. Logistically speaking, these podcasts are often recorded ahead of time, meaning that this particular episode may not directly address the events of the most recent news cycle. And yet, trusting that candid discussions can offer lasting insights, we commend this podcast to you. Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country. As they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hello, everyone. I'm Ryan Bonfilio, and I'm here with my colleagues, Adam Borneman, Mark Ramsey, Adam Mixon, and Jennifer Maxell. And we want to talk today about the importance of ongoing spiritual formation in the lives of pastoral leaders. And by formation, what we don't mean is learning how to do budgets on Excel or record podcasts, as important as it is. But we want to talk about why it is that our leadership in the church today is so dependent on this question of our internal spiritual formation. Ryan, I think one of the mistakes that the church in the West, if I can use such a broad brushstroke, is in terms of pedagogy. Uh, We have spent so much time reading and thinking and talking about faith. And I think what we are seeing now is that that pedagogy has a lot of deep flaws, that there is a deeply important experiential component and a relational component to our formation, that it involves our bodies that it involves relationships, that it involves how we live and act in the world. This is no surprise when we read the Gospels, because when Jesus stops to talk or to teach, they're on the way. They're moving together. They're going to something. It's always a movement. It's not an institution for teaching. Now, in saying that, of course, teaching is important. Content is important. I'm a strong believer in that. But one of the enormous gaps is just in our understanding of what formation actually is and what pedagogy uh, is most valuable for us. I hear you speaking to application, not just interpretation, but application. And in all of our thinking and talking about who God is or these theological conversations, I think we've created divisions where they don't exist. And part of what I see as the practical outworking of our faith is justice work or a type of activism in our communities that kind of being separated from that more what we call pastoral work, this dichotomy between pastoral and prophetic. We got to get rid of that. The same ethics that govern personal relationships ought to inform the public policies that we advocate for, the causes that we apply ourselves to. There's really no separation. What this idea brings up for me is the distinction between, I guess you could say, acceptable places of knowledge and unacceptable places of knowledge. That it's not just institutions, but certain institutions that are seen as the keepers and holders of knowledge. And certain institutions are not. Certain people are seen as knowledgeable. 
as sources and certain people are not. And I think that that is extremely problematic. I'm in the black church context. And in a lot of our churches, you know, there's the first lady, there's the mother of the church. There are people that have no technical leadership position that have no authority that has been granted them, but because of their place in the community, because of their experience in their life, because of their faith, they are seen as sources of knowledge. And I think in all of our congregations and all of our churches and all of our institutions, there are the people that are part of the fabric whose voices have been silenced because they may not have the attributes that we look at in terms of leaders. They may not be, you know, sit on somebody's board. They may not have the degrees and all of that. And yet they have that knowledge that we need as a community to move to the next level. So when we talk about equipping, I think it's really looking first, you know, who's in your house, who is in your church, whose voice has been muted, who has the experience, who is holding the cultural memory, who's holding the historical memory for your church that is often untapped. We have let the professionalization of formation, I think, too much hold. And I say this as someone who appreciates everything the Theological Academy has provided me in my life and career and provides others. I think it's essential. But I think there's got to be a reclamation of theological faith formation for everyone in the church and not just those who are degreed. I don't want to say that pastors are doing a power grab around their status, but often, I mean, how many times have we been in a room and somebody's got to pray and they always look to the preacher because, of course, we've learned how to pray because we have a degree in praying? I think not. But I, I think we've got to democratize, if you will, more that we're all in this together. And Ryan, I know that you spent a lot of your time focusing in on this, but how do we reinvest faith formation in everybody in congregations? Yeah, Mark, I think this is a crucial issue in terms of formation. We've come to think about theological education as a professional degree. So just like a nurse needs to go to nursing school or a teacher needs to get a certificate in teaching, so we've thought of theological education such that it's only something certain people need if they're going into certain professions, and such that the conferring of a degree then is the conferring that you are equipped and ready to go. But this is a fallacy for two reasons. Theological education has always been intended not as a professional degree, but as an act of discipleship, mm. something that anyone, anywhere would want to engage in because she wants to go deeper in her faith in Christ. That's the nature of theological education, and that's the purpose of discipleship. But beyond that, I think we also think that those of us who are pastors and have gone to seminary, that once we get that degree in our hands, then our formation is over. We are equipped and ready to go. And if anything, that certificate just says, now you're ready to start learning more. Go and learn elsewhere. I always think that the Latin term that we get seminary from means seedbed, and seedbeds can provide a safe and nurturing place for saplings to grow, but they don't end up there. Those saplings need to be transplanted into the world, and any tree needs to have continuing sources of water and nutrients to grow and be shaped. The seedbed is not enough, and so it is, I think, with pastors. We need to find those sources of water and nourishment in our ministry context as a lifetime commitment, not a three-year degree program. I'm thinking about what you said, Ryan, and I'm also kind of reflecting on what Jennifer said about kind of mining the resources that are already present 
and congregations where we're serving, the ability to listen well and gather the wisdom from those who have been here longer than us and been through more than we can imagine. That's vitally important. But also with that, empowering those voices, which demand us kind of decentering ourselves as the be all or the end all, which I think should be a function of theological education in the sense that And y'all can shout me down if I'm wrong on this. Part of my sense about theological education is that it's been cut off from the church. So you got people who go and get all of this training, knowledge, information, and it's all head knowledge. It's a lot of God talk, but not talking to God. So they go into these environments with this wealth of knowledge and this bright-eyed, know-it-all, bushy tail, or whatever. And they realize that you're dealing not with ideas, but with people. They're not theological concepts, but it's human lives, right, that are decidedly less neat and well beyond your control. So if there's something to go forward on, maybe it's this idea that theological education needs to find its roots in the church and not outside of. Yeah, Adam, this is such a crucial issue. This fissure and gap between the church and theological education is an incredibly crucial problem. And the problem comes from both sides. From the side of the seminary, their theological reflections so often and under pressures to publish and all other pressures of the guild has become disconnected from questions of discipleship and the ministry of the church. It's become an abstract intellectual exercise. But on the other hand, the gap is also due to the church. As the seminary has been understood to be a site for theological education, I think the church has outsourced its responsibility in theological reflection to the seminary. Because if they're doing it, then we don't have to, and our work is something different. So the problem comes from both sides, but we need to bridge that gap if we want to bring vital theological reflection back into the pews and in something that we equip not just pastors with, but with church members and seekers and lay leaders in our congregations. I think that's very important, Ryan, because there have been changes in who teaches in seminaries. And, you know, we're not going to go back to some hazy golden period where that was different. Although I will say the amount of pastoral experience among seminary professors is probably at its lowest point ever. And there are good reasons for that, but that does have implications and to change other things. But for me, the implication of the congregation, one of them is faith formation cannot be a hobby for Christians. By that, I mean that we can't just say, well, yeah, I'll dip in. I know most of it. I'll dip in, get inspired or or get something done, and then I'll go on. We actually have to devote ourselves as people who are following Jesus to work on our faith constantly, and we're never done doing that. When we were talking to one of our colleagues, uh, Will McCall, who's in Dallas, uh, not long ago, he had a wonderful phrase, the time of sit and get in church is over. Now is the time of contend and send. And I really do think among the many implications of what's happening in the rearrangement of these crises we've been working through in the last many months is the time for people to expect they can come in, sit down, get what they need, leave with no follow or no implication. That not only is it over, it's got to be over if we're going to sink deeper roots in our faith. Yeah, and I think part of that, uh, Mark, is that the place of that contending cannot just be in the church. 
and our four walls. Um, one of the things that I know has been so generative with one of the churches that I serve about 10 years ago, we started doing international travel trips. And so being able to see how Christianity has played out across the world has been extremely generative in terms of our congregants and understanding their place in the church and the world as Christians over time to see where the roots of Christianity have sprung from and not just from a a head knowledge experience, but to be able to walk the streets where the people that we have read walked, to be able to go to places where the theologians that we look to for guidance, where they're actually from, what has shaped them into being who they are and also shapes us. I think the other thing is to also um, name that when we look at how professionalism and institutions have shaped our theology and our formation, we have to also realize that there are power dynamics at work in that, that also then shape who we are as people. And so part of, I think, what is underlying this whole issue of equipping is this idea that says I need to be not just equipped, but equipped in a way that allows me to be the authority and continue to hold power in this space. That if we are really looking to be equipped, we have to be able to recognize that our power and our authority is going to have to be put to the side, Mm. that we can no longer be the keepers of all the knowledge, the keepers of all the answers. We can no longer be the ones that decide the curriculum for everything all the time. And to be able to open that up to others inside of our churches and also others. I mean, when I think about art, I think about historically how art has been such an incredibly generative source for Christianity throughout Mm -hmm. time. And now that's something that we don't even really think about. We don't invest in Christian art. It's not something that we really connect with. So I think that there are other places that we can look to for knowledge um, and equipping as well. We have to look beyond the circles that we are in for our formation. We, We seem to have implicitly made formation and specialization synonymous. Mm -hmm. So to be formed as a Christian is to have some special route that we have to take in following Jesus. But uh, we need more Renaissance women, more Renaissance men who can span uh, all the different spaces and spheres and fields of the world that we are in. It's very important to get out of that cycle of constantly looking in our own institutions for all the answers. As one of our good friends, Ben Garrett, reminds us that the answers are not in the building. So if we're going to do formation, we have to be exposed to people, places, and ideas that may make us uncomfortable, but which could actually be very valuable for us. And we have to encourage each other to inhabit those spaces and encounter them. The other day, I was interacting with uh, someone who is an undergraduate, and they started asking questions about when they should start applying for seminary. And my initial response was, is there anything else you can do with your life? Because what I would really be interested to know is, you know, if you're in pre-med or if you're in business or whatever, I want to help you think the theologically and Christianly about how to pursue those paths, because that's the type of formation we need in our churches. We don't need more specialization. We don't need more special Christians. We need people who are in other spaces who can act Christianly. And if I could say one thing, at least in our tradition and a lot of mainline Protestant traditions, if I had a magic wand to eliminate some things from church, well, actually, that would be a long list. But 
The one thing I would get rid of tomorrow, because symbols matter, is the installation of pastors in congregations. They masquerade as coronations. We're special. To your point, Adam, why aren't we having an installation for someone who just graduated and is becoming an accountant to be a faithful Christ-bearing accountant or a faithful Christ-bearing physician or, or, or. We lift clergy up and say, oh, you are so special in this. And in doing that, that symbol then puts everybody else down. The other thing I want to say in congregational life, this is all good, but if we're going to reinvest in faith formation at the congregational level, my question to every congregation, including the ones I have served is, what are we willing to give up? Because it can't just be adding more. It has to be that we will give up some things so that this can be the priority. I really like the idea of what we're willing to give up. And I want to aim that directly at those who are serving congregationally, pastors and elders. Yeah, I don't count myself to have apprehended. But (laughs) what I do say is this. My goal pastorally is to become unnecessary is to effectively put myself out of a job. And in a practical way, that's how our congregation survives. Y'all know I'm bivocational. We could not survive if all roads led to me. Mm-hmm. People have to be empowered to operate in the gifts that God has given them, which means that I have to acknowledge my limitations and at the same time uh, work toward being not essential. The show goes on with or without me. I mean, Adam, I love that idea. It's a beautiful one. And it requires that disposition in pastors like you. But it also requires seminaries to start doing something different. We have to get away from this model of saying, here we are. We've got the theological goodies. Come to us and take one of our degree programs. Seminaries have to rethink who their audience is. We have to get beyond our degree programs. We have to get off our campus. We have to bring what happens at seminary into congregations just like yours so that folks can come beside you and take up that leadership mantle. But if seminaries continue in this old model of come to us and how do we make it easier for come to us, we are not going to be equipping disciples in the church in the way that I believe God calls us to do. We also, um, just to end, we rarely just do plugs, but I want to do a series of plugs because, number one, our colleague Ryan Bonfilio has written about this in several places, and I would encourage you to Google that, especially an article he had in Christian Century several months ago that I thought was very helpful. Our podcast producer, Martha Sanders, has a podcast, Art, Inspiration, and Justice podcast, AIJ podcast, which really gets to this uh, of wisdom coming from many different places. And we are co-sponsors right now, and Jennifer Maxell is our sort of lead on this in partnering with Pittsburgh Seminary on a different type of program looking at this in a different way. So there's there's lots of opportunities. Those are on our website. We won't do public service announcements all the time, but this one seemed to have the intersection of a lot of what we're working on. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.